Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of My Climate Diet, the podcast where I'm shedding the pounds of greenhouse gas emissions. As always, I'm Lisa Pettibone, and I've gone bananas for a book called How Bad Are Bananas? So today is the first meeting of the Climate Book Club, where we'll talk about the book, or I'll talk about it at you. But first, do you even remember saying I was going to talk about the book today? Did you get a chance to pick it up and read it? If you did, drop me a line with your thoughts at lisa at myclimatediet.org or on Twitter at Lisa Pettibone. I've been wanting to dedicate an episode to a book review for months now, so I'm excited to finally be doing it. And I've added an extra challenge to myself. As I read, I tried to use the book to guess how much carbon my family saved by cleaning out my husband's parents' house over the summer. So this is the beginning of October, but also I wanted to summarize some of what we talked about back in September. How Bad Are Bananas? The Carbon Footprint of Everything was written by Mike Berners-Lee and published in 2010. That means that some of the calculations, especially for electronics, and also some of the statistics on the share of individual things on the global carbon footprint are already out of date. At the same time, this is one of the only books I've found that tries to measure the climate impacts of everyday behaviors in a comprehensive way. Since I've started this podcast, I've found that in a lot of areas, there really isn't any information at all. You can go back to my episodes on cosmetics, for example. I should give a shout out to another book, which I've used for years, that's called How to Live a Low Carbon Life. This one is by Chris Goodall, also in 2010. It's also interesting to note that both of these books are by British authors, which is interesting because I haven't found any of this type of book written for an American or a German audience. And I would suspect that the data would be slightly different or could be slightly optimized. I'm only going to talk about how bad are bananas today. But one thing that Goodall's book does that is interesting is he works it out by sector. And this makes it very easy to see all of the information on home appliances together, on electricity, on food and nutrition. It's very nice to get an introduction into how your individual emissions come together. One thing I really gravitated toward when I saw how batter bananas is how it's organized, which is by increasing ranges of carbon emissions. So the first section looks at things that are under 10 grams of CO2 equivalent, things like a text message, and then it moves to 10 to 100 grams, things like a banana, 100 grams to one kilo, a cup of coffee, and finishes at things that are more than 100 million tons, like the World Cup. Because I read the book beginning to end, this organization became less successful as I moved on. It skipped around between sectors like transportation, food, and clothing, making it hard to remember apples to apples comparison, like how much worse strawberries are than bananas. Also, some of the things that it compared in the same categories were at slightly different scales, like 
one banana versus a kilogram of potatoes versus a four ounce steak. This made it a bit trickier to suss out the precise differences between these different options. But a lot of the information, and I think the main purpose of the book, is about scale. That, for example, bottled water has a thousand times the carbon footprint of tap water. Imported beer from a bottle has five times the footprint of local beer on tap. Here, decisions that we make out of habit could lead to dramatic savings if we're better informed. If we used to drink two bottles of water a day and switch completely to tap water, that'll save one ton of carbon emissions per year. And this is what Berners-Lee is interested in. Not the details or the precise emissions of one thing, which he effectively argues has a range based on numerous variables and is thus impossible to calculate precisely. Instead, what he cares about is the scale, what's generally better or worse, as well as the known variables that can improve something's footprint, like where electricity comes from. Once we know that, we can start abstracting from these individual choices to general rules of thumb. Meat leads to more emissions than vegetables, flying more than bicycling. And with calculations on embodied emissions versus use emissions, basically the emissions that are produced by making something like a computer or a washing machine versus every time you use it, he also gives an idea of the impact of living lighter, air drying clothes, using things longer, buying secondhand. The last few sections of the book get into things with really high emissions, like entire countries. These almost feel like a different book to me because they discuss things like volcanic activity and deforestation that individuals can't influence. So it was weirdly dissonant for me, especially at the end, because to me it felt like background information to inform a lot of the earlier sections. So I guess I left, as I was reading this book, I wanted to organize it differently, and that reduced my enjoyment of the reading. I think I would have preferred an organization that went by sector with an introduction on background processes, maybe at the beginning of each each sector, things like how deforestation impacts cattle ranching or is driven by cattle ranching. And this organization might take it closer to the Chris Goodall book, How to Live a Low-Carbon Life. So maybe that is the better introduction um, to to these topics. But because I think that this book is not really intended to be read cover to cover and put away. And that's what makes me so happy that I have a copy because I know that I'm gonna use this as a resource And I'm going to want to keep it handy when I'm researching something new for this podcast. So it's really great for that. I learned a few things I didn't know, and I appreciated the new presentation of things that I did. So some of the themes that kept coming up. Cow's milk is a really big part of the footprints that it's in. Things like coffee, cereal, and cheese. Heat or electricity source is a big part of household emissions. Things like when you watch TV or take a shower. Meat is generally worse than fruits and vegetables. 
and they only are high emission if they're grown out of season in a heated greenhouse or flown in on an airplane. Fruits like bananas that are grown outside and shipped by boat have a relatively low footprint. So here, food miles can be a problem, but it depends on what kind of food miles they are. The embodied emissions in large purchases like clothes and appliances mean it's generally better to keep using them as long as possible. And finally, anytime you can do something less, not buy something, or turn something off, you're gonna lower your carbon footprint. These are all obvious, but nice to remember. What does this mean for my big clutter clearing task over the summer? Well, this I think was the the biggest benefit of this book is I found two different ways I could calculate it, which is two more than I had before. So first I used his rubbish calculations in which he gives carbon emissions of each kilogram of different types of trash. So for example, if you throw away metal, plastic or glass, what kind of emissions that leads to in the landfill, but also the additional emissions to create new material because you've thrown yours away rather than recycling it. Here I found about 700 kilograms is what we saved using my really rough guesstimates of the different types of material that we sold or recycled. So that was that was actually a really helpful, pretty easy for back of the envelope calculations. The second calculation was his input output model, which uses a multiplication factor by sector in, and it uses instead of the kilograms of CO2 per kilogram thrown away, it's per British pound of retail value. So here I'll give you an example. The input output model uses a multiplication factor of 0.26 kilograms of carbon dioxide equivalent per British pound for soap and cosmetics, or about 0.23 kilograms of CO2 per euro. So I guesstimated that by taking back and using different soap, shampoo, toothpaste, and the like that we found in this house, we're going to save about 30 euro. That amounts to 15 pounds of carbon dioxide savings. We also sold about 600 euro worth of tools and domestic appliances at the yard sale, which is about 713 pounds of carbon savings. So using both of these calculations, I think it's very safe to say we definitely saved half a ton of carbon dioxide emissions, likely closer to a full ton. And I think that brings me to my final verdict, I guess, if I can say of this book, which is the fact that it gives me such great tools to calculate something that's very complicated and difficult to calculate. That means it's going to stay on my shelf near my desk, and I can bet you I'm going to be using it quite a lot in the next few years. So pick up a copy yourself or keep listening to this podcast, and you will definitely get some tips pretty regularly from this book. What's giving me hope this week? Over the weekend, I saw Black Klansmen, and it really made me smile. If you haven't heard of this movie, it's Spike Lee's last project that came out last year, and it tells the true story 
of a black police officer who went undercover in the Ku Klux Klan. Something that is completely unbelievable, but shockingly true. The movie was incredibly entertaining with ample dancing, chase scenes, and tense moments, like when the black cop is asked to serve as a bodyguard for David Duke, who is the grand master of the Klan. At this point in the film, he's talked to Duke on the phone several times and used his real name for the undercover operation. So will Duke recognize his voice? I'm not going to tell you. You'll have to watch the movie. But it had all of the hallmarks of Hollywood mainstream in the very best way. And what made me so hopeful watching this movie was how it mixed that mainstream entertainment quality with a sort of gentle didacticism. Yes, the story is shocking, bizarre, and hilarious. But Lee also uses it to talk about racism in America, connecting the main story in the 1970s to Birth of a Nation in 1915 and the demonstration in Charlottesville in 2017. There's also an amazing sequence where a Klan inauguration ceremony is intercut with a story about a lynching several decades earlier that really shows Lee's ability to connect storytelling and education. If you've been following politics, you'll also see countless very unsettling parallels to current events and discourse. There are a couple times where David Duke on the phone makes comments that are almost verbatim things that our current president has said. I'm sure the screenwriters took some liberties in really putting it on the nose to make a point, but you can't deny that David Duke thought and said things that were eerily similar to things our president has been saying. When the movie was over, I turned to my husband and I said, we need that, but for sustainability. So Black Klansman is giving me hope that somehow, maybe in the future, sustainability can find film directors who are as good at telling these urgent, important stories in a way suitable to watching while you're eating popcorn. Just drop me a line when you're ready to direct my post-apocalyptic sustainability buddy comedy, There Will Be Snacks. Thanks for listening. I recently talked to my friend Rachel Dana, who told me that she just started listening to this podcast. And what she likes about it was hearing about things that she knows are bad but does anyway, like flying for work. She said it helps remind her the true impact of the choices she makes. And she also likes hearing that I started with such a low footprint and am still finding ways to cut the pounds. This made me especially happy because I've thought so often of how much more I'd have to talk about with you every week if I had a car when I started or if I lived in a three-story three house. Basically, if I started with a 20-ton lifestyle. So thanks for listening, Rachel. And keep me posted if you figure out how to cut down on your work travel. Next week. So Extinction Rebellion started their Rebellion Week in Berlin yesterday and in numerous cities around the world. I spent an hour trying to get to the rebel camp yesterday by bus. My bad. Because the main action that they're 
they were doing yesterday was to tie up the roads around where they're camped out. But I'm definitely going to check them out this week so I can talk about the movement and Rebellion Week in Berlin next week on the podcast. There's some good journalism on the movement, particularly at The Guardian in the UK and Tats, if you speak German, but there really isn't enough. Uh, when I went to the Washington Post homepage yesterday, that's my English-speaking newspaper of choice, I saw nothing on Rebellion Week, but an overkill of articles on presidential impeachment. So if you want something on Rebellion Week, tune in next week, because that's what I'm going to talk about. Do you want to see me live? Well, I'm going to be performing on Friday, October 18th in Neubrandenburg as part of the Document Art Film Festival. I'm very excited. In addition to some films on sustainability, I'm going to be there to talk about this podcast and the experiences I've had going on a climate diet for, for the last six months. You can go to documentart.org for more information. Hope to see you there. Thanks also to David from Kvens for letting me use his music. And thanks to you too. Since I got back from my summer of house cleaning, I've been humbled by how many people listen to this podcast. This has been a labor of love for me, and I appreciate you giving me a listen. Feel free to drop me a line with your climate tips, things you like or don't, or just a kind word at lisa at myclimatediet.org. You can also follow me on Twitter at Lisa Pettibone. And don't forget to rate My Climate Diet on Apple Podcasts. That makes it easier for others to find me and start their own climate diet. Because if everyone went on a climate diet, it wouldn't be the end of the world. 